Your boredom is over because we're just getting started here on Mo Show's Recaps, talking about the Night Manager, Mr. Night Manager. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I don't know about this Richard Roper guy, but I'm here with the best people in the world, Rob Sesternino and Antonio Mazzaro. Are we the Night Assistant Managers? Yeah, <laughs> Assistant to the Night Manager. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'll, I'm the I'm, I'm the Night Assistant Manager. That's good. I'll be the that. D- the Dark Knight manager. <laughs> oh, that sounds fantastic. Richard Roper, the film critic. Noted film critic Richard <laughs> yes. Roper. That was the biggest twist for me was that noted film critic Richard Roper was an international arms dealer. Did he review well, this I- yet? I don't know. We should look that up because I gotta imagine he is going to have some uh, some quibbles with some of the factual accuracy of his person, <laughs> or perhaps not. Perhaps he'll admit to all of it. <laughs> Maybe that's why on the show Richard Roper refers to himself as Dickie Roper to really just like distinguish himself <laughs> from film critic Richard Roper. Has to be why. Yeah, Dickie Roper. I see Richard Roper. Roper did tweet uh, recently about this that Hugh Laurie plays Richard Roper in The Night Manager. What a goofy name. Now, Richard Roper, that's a name. <laughs> I think that there is a, a, a slight difference in the spelling, right? Spelling, right. In the spelling, yeah. right. There's like an E after the O in actual Richard Roper. There you go. Yeah, so evil Richard Roper is who we're talking about, not film critic Richard Roper. Talking about The Night Manager, new espionage show that's on AMC that premiered this past week. It's a six-episode limited event. It already aired on BBC, so spoilers are out there, I am sure. Uh, it stars a whole bunch of famous people like Dr. Gregory House as Richard Roper. Thor's brother is in this. It's a, it's a hell of a time. Yes, I was just waiting for the uh, Chris Hardwick-hosted follow-up show to Night Manager, Talking Manager. Talking Manager. <laughs> that, that, that's what you are, Rob. You're the Talking See, Manager. See, I think that it was actually supposed to be called At Midnight Manager. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very social-oriented show, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's going to be on Comedy Central instead of AMC. They're trying some synergy there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's yeah, what we're that's looking for. Before we dive into all of that, first off, gentlemen, how are you? Antonio, how's it going? It's going well. My my nights are managed. My mischief's managed. We're good to go. You're a night person, just generally. I am. I, the, the, I belong to the night. You're a night owl. Yes, I am night owl, for sure. You're a night like owl. The di- this like the diner in LA Confidential. This jo- Oh God, horrible things happened there. Uh, <laughs> or like the superhero from Watchmen. Yes, very much like the superhero from Watchmen. That's me. Uh, Either one of those two things. But the night manager job sounds like this would be a great job for Antonio Mazzaro. Man of leisure right now. Well, as I was saying right before we started recording this podcast, I'm kind of interested in this uh, night manager gig. You get to you get to live in some very impressive places. You get to you get to, I don't know, let's say rub elbows with some high society types. Uh, some mysterious women enter your life and are very interested in what you do. This this sounds fantastic to me. I never thought about this before, but hotelier is a, is a really interesting occupation. Yeah, was it, are we playing the game hotelier or nay? <laughs> I'd say hotelier. Yeah, hotelier, for sure. Rob, do you say hotelier or nay? I'll say yay. I feel like that most of the real pain in the ass hotel people are probably asleep by the time the night manager takes over. Over and you're really just dealing with the crazy of the craziest. So if you have like a high tolerance for crazy people and really want just like good stories, I feel like night manager is much better than day manager at the hotel. Yeah, and I feel like less people are bothering you. I think it's a quantity versus quality thing, as you're as you're mentioning. I feel like the quantity is pretty low, but the quality of crazy that you're getting at night is going to be pretty high, and that's going to be good for podcasting fodder. So if you needed a second job, Rob, this could be good. Yeah, this would be good. I always like the movie Four Rooms also. Yeah. That's more of a bellhop. 
uh, in the hotel at nighttime. That's still pretty good. The night bellhop. Yes. There's a lot there's a lot that goes on in these hotels at night. People are coming and going, people that are people of the night, like you're saying, the 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 total number of people lower, but the amount of crazy higher. I mean, then some some beautiful gorgeous woman could just, you know, just show up and want to talk to you about her little dog or her problems with her very mysterious papers. Yes. I worried about the dog by the way. What happened to the dog after all of that? Eh, the concierge was taking care of the dog. Yeah. Then it got covered in blood like young Dexter. Oh, oh no! It is bad. Yeah, so that dog is going to go up, grow up to be a, a blood spatter analyst. Yes, perhaps by day, perhaps secretly at night. Uh, Manager by night. Other dogs. Yes. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. Interesting stuff there, Rob. How are you? We're we're back with Rob Sesternino here on Mo Show's Recap after a week away. You were in New York. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Oh, everything is dandy. Very happy to have my New York trip behind me. And now it's just uh, smooth sailing these next couple of weeks. Pumped up for Game of Thrones on Sunday. Yes. Game of Thrones coming up on Sunday. Rob, did you watch anything interesting on your airplane back from New York? Oh, I watched uh, several episodes of Paw Patrol. I've uh, a lot uh-huh. of uh, caught up from everything from uh, season three uh, for yeah. the uh, I'm on a, a Antonio level of uh, I've seen every episode now six times. Wow. Uh, also, Fantastic. several episodes of Peppa Pig. Also, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a British show, right, Rob? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's very amazing. Good. Also, very a couple of episodes like the night of uh, the, a couple of episodes of the Adventures of Jack and Coke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drink Is that heavily, like Happen, Leonard. Yeah, drink heavily. Yeah. <laughs> not Jack and Pepsi. We don't do that here. No, not uh, no, no Team Pepsi. No Team Pepsi. All right. Well, we do have Game of Thrones coming up really soon. Better Call Saul ended last week. Lots of different shows happening here on Mo Shows. Well, let's talk about The Night Manager. Let's talk about that show. Let's talk about this show that is on AMC. As we mentioned, it was on the BBC earlier. I think it aired in February in the UK and ended in March. We're getting it late. I don't know why we have to get it so late, personally. Yeah, I don't know either. Get your act together, AMC. Well, was this sort of a deal? Did AMC option this after it was a hit in the BBC? Or was it sort of like that old like Friday Night Lights deal where it was airing on DirecTV before it was airing on NBC and they've sort of shared the costs on that? I believe, according to Wiki, which I would advise you to stay away from if you are really, really into the Night Manager, because there are a couple of spoilers on here. I will not share them here on the podcast. Uh, But according to the Wiki, it is a co-production between the BBC, AMC, and The Ink Factory. Oh, uh, so it appears that in addition to the Ink Factory and BBC, AMC does have their fingers in the pots of making the Night Manager. Yeah. Yeah, we should be careful insulting AMC because you never want to get into an argument with someone who buys ink by a factory. Yeah, that se- <laughs> seems legit. That's what I've heard. It's an yeah. old adage, but it dies hard. Yeah, it dies hard. Uh, so regardless of when we are getting this, we are getting this a little bit late, but it is airing mid-April. It is going from mid-April to mid-May, only six weeks of this show. And Antonio, can you set up for us what we're getting into here with The Night Manager? Espionage, Josh. Espionage. No, it is a. It's a. It's a. It's a, based on a novel by John Le Carre or John Le Carre, however you want to pronounce it. Depends on your uh, affinity for pronunciation marks. John Le Carre is a, a very famous kind of spy writer. One of his kind of famous books is a spy who came in from the cold, uh, which is a great movie. I would also recommend. There are lots of other uh, works that have been adapted. This clearly is in that realm, the spy espionage kind of international intrigue, uh, very Hitchcockian in elements as well, for 
sure a lot of the North by Northwest or things like that that are in play, these kind of storylines that Hitchcock was obsessed with. So you've got a night manager at a hotel. It, the, the show begins, he's a night manager at a hotel in Egypt, in Cairo, during the Arab Spring when Mubarak is uh, being forced from office, resigning, and the things, the events that are going on there. Uh, he discovers through contact with a guest at his hotel that there is some kind of high-level arms deal going on between one of the notorious families in Egypt and an international arms dealer, and he wants to throw it up the flagpole. He wants to do something about this. He feels very motivated. He is an ex-soldier. He's very involved in this from the jump. Things go south on this, uh, and I don't want to ruin much more of that. But he doesn't forget it. So we jump ahead four years later. Uh, he he and happens to come into contact with someone from that original incident, uh, and he still wants to be involved. So he is be, becomes very fully involved by the end of this first episode, for sure. You mentioned Hitchcock, and I know I don't think that we talk Hitchcock a lot here on Poster Recaps uh, at large, but certainly not on most shows recap that I can think of. But you're a huge Hitchcock guy, Antonio. So if you are referencing Hitchcock, that suggests to me that you really liked this. I did really like it. I, I can understand why people might not like it. It is slower. There is a lot of kind of brooding and thinking about what's on papers and looking around at, at rooms that don't contain anything but may contain something later. There's those sorts of things that are happening in The Night Manager. And they, it doesn't make really any reservations about. I think we're in four or five different geographic locales throughout Europe and North Africa in this first episode alone. I can only imagine what the future will bring. So I think for a lot of people that might be a barrier. But this is right in my wheelhouse. I happen to really like this sort of thing. I, I've i considered finding trying to find a way if I can watch the rest of these episodes right away. That's how much I was interested move in. Move to London. Mm-hmm. Well, there are other ways. But yes, I could also move to London. That is a possibility for sure. Yeah. But yeah, there's, I was very much, very much interested for sure. There's digital means, you're saying. There are digital means. Yes, I'll use my digits to type something into my computer. <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> yeah he digitally means business that's exactly yes. what i meant okay, uh, R- rob what is your take on the night manager thus far after one episode of seeing tom hiddleston as jonathan pine running around doing his thing what's your take on the night manager so far well we are again in a tale of intrigue where we are waiting to see exactly how this is all going to go down with Mr. Pine getting involved in this case. I, I found the show to be probably too slow for my taste. I wasn't really uh, sure why I needed to care about these characters, and I felt like it was missing a hook from the start. And so I didn't have the uh, same sort of uh, patience with it that Antonio did. But I do think that uh, it is something that is it, it is well done for what it is. But I felt like I, I did find it to be a little too slow. Well, let's go into something that we talk about here a lot, which is that idea of the weekly versus the binge. This is a six episode miniseries. Rob, for you, do you think if you would have been able to just like turn the chapter, like if you could have just gone into episode two and then three, then four, then five, then six, is that a better format for a story that unfolds at kind of a slower pace like this, do you think? Yeah, I think that probably it would have been if we would have just rolled into the next one, because I feel like that, you know, with a lot of the shows that we talk about, I tend to feel that way after the first episode. Going back to The Man in the High Castle, I felt that way a little bit about that. Probably not as much as this. And then I watched like two or three episodes and then I ended up getting hooked and watching the whole series. Uh, In this case, I did feel like 
even at the end of the first episode, I felt like that we were left without any sort of like major cliffhanger where I definitely needed to see how this was all going to play out. Right. And I think, you know, Antonio, you mentioned that this is an adaptation of a novel by John le Carre, who is, you know, this prolific espionage writer. So I think that just from the pacing of this first episode, you do get the sense that you are you are witnessing, you're experiencing something that is more akin to a novella or even just a straight up novel than, you know, a traditional TV show. I think that, you know, you see a lot of miniseries these days and shorter order shows as well. But this felt to me really paced like a book. Yeah. And I mean, almost there was a lot, the first probably 30, 40 minutes were almost a prologue or like a, yeah. you know, first couple of chapters thing. Cause we have a four year time jump in this first episode. That really surprised year. me. I was really shocked by that. Yeah. So, and I understand that because they talk about the past is prologue and the, there is a great element of the, this story since we do a four year time jump that is in the past. And that element is the character's motivation, not only for being involved with the noted film critic, Richard Roper, but also <laughs> for, but also his motivation for why he got involved to begin with. And I agree with you, Rob, a little bit in that at the beginning, I was wondering what's the hook to. And the reason I was asking that is, and this is not really to get into spoiler territory, I didn't understand why the guy wanted to be involved in the thing at all when somebody came up to him with this intriguing situation that seemed from a mile away to be screaming, don't get involved. He wanted to get involved. And I didn't want to think it was just because it was a pretty woman that was why he wanted to be involved. And I don't think that it was because by the end of the episode, another character has asked him, why do you want to be involved in this? So right. another character in the story is actively asking the question that I was asking myself, which I thought was great. I was very happy that by the end of this first episode, someone had asked him the very question I thought was a weakness of the show that the show didn't do a good job of developing. So I was like, wow, they almost it's almost like they heard my feedback and they added the scene here at the end. So I was very happy with that. Yeah, they were listening to our podcast before we even recorded it. I know that scares that's me. the level like a, of intelligence. Well, they they're have four years later. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good point, Rob. Yeah. It's a very good point. This podcast yeah. has been over for three years and, uh, yeah. you know, 11 months. It's very pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. You can really accomplish a lot with that four year time jump. Yeah. Um, Especially if you listen to things over and over, just watch TV shows over and over again, like I recommend everyone do. Do you think that the agents on this show have listened to this episode of Mo Shows recapped more than you have watched Scream Queens, Anthony? <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> Yeah, doubtful. I don't think how so. Mu- how no. many times have you seen Scream Queens four years from now? Oh, four years from now, as many times as I have right now. Yeah, I'm uh, not going to watch that again. Yeah, that's what he says yeah. now. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to binge but, it before the next season? Well, yeah, and then in two years when we record like a recap, like let's go back and look, let's take a look back at Scream Queens. I'm going to watch it all again then, probably at least twice. So yeah, you're right. Our retrospective, our retrospective. I think another thing that is kind of, um, you know, that's going to catch you right away when you are watching a show like Mr. Night Manager is the caliber of the cast. You have a guy like Tom Hiddleston, whose career is really, really taking off in movies right now, who I believe, you know, he started in stage, but he also did a lot of shows in the UK. There's a show that I have not seen, but I really want to check out called Wallander that he was involved in um, with, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name, Gilderoy Locke 
Lockhart. That actor. I'm blanking Kenneth on Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Thank you so much. Uh, he yeah. was in that with him. He, that's where he really started. He had a lot of you know TV stuff, and then he got into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he's playing Loki there. And Tom Hiddleston is a name that is basically a household name at this point, and he's got a lot of different blockbuster roles under his belt. Surprising to see him go back to TV, and I think that that kind of lends some credibility to this event series being an event. I think that it really kind of adds some gravitas to the thing. Yeah, six-episode yeah. run. I think that you can bring in uh, big-name talent. Uh, Hugh Laurie is also here, and I think that for the opportunity, especially uh, British TV, I feel like that there's some prestige there, no? Yeah, I think so. And I and I think that with John le Carre, there's also, um, there's also prestige. I mean, it, I said he's got The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which is a very famous British film. Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was one of his and came out a couple years ago. No he spoilers. Somehow I have still not seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and I have actively avoided all of the spoilers. Don't tell yeah, me I'm anything. not going to spoil anything. It's a, I mean, there's a lot going on. That's a great movie as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I read the book of that, and so... The, the the I just think there's a lot of prestige in in working on his work as well. I think he's considered to be kind of one of the great living geniuses of this sort of thing, and I think I I can see the hook for those actors wanting to be involved in this adaptation, considering some of the other high profile adaptations that have that have occurred over the years. I think that that in itself, you know, Rob, you were talking about not sure what the hook is in this first episode. And I, I might agree with you in terms of having watched the first episode. I'm not sure what the hook is there. But I think in terms of the series as a whole, it's seeing some of these big name personalities involved, attaching themselves to this thing. And I remember seeing the trailers for the show, which looked really action packed and exciting. And it's got Hugh Laurie and it's got Tom Hiddleston here, you know, as you and I were podcasting about Walking Dead. And I'm sure that you guys saw it as you were podcasting about Better Call saw uh that you just kept seeing this trailer for this show that looked really really exciting looked kind of james bondy a Mm -hmm. little bit and it also had this really you know these two a-list guys on the show i think that in terms of hooking you into giving the show a shot i think that they did a pretty good job yeah the trailer for next week's episode also looks to be action-packed right I just didn't think episode one was action-packed. <laughs> right, right. They're starting starting a little bit slow. It seems like there is a promise of some bigger, bigger things to come. We certainly get hints of that in this first episode. Mm-hmm. This character, Dickie Roper, Hugh Laurie's character, he is, um, you know, he is this arms dealer, and we see the uh, the manifest for all the things that he is going to be bringing into Egypt, according to the first person, the first uh, sort of uh, femme fatale type of character that Jonathan Pine encounters here, the first sort of Bond girl if you will, shows him this uh, this rider of like it has napalm on there and chemical weapons and all of this horrible stuff. And you don't have like Chekhov's rider here unless those bombs are going to go off at some point in the show. Literally, literally those bombs are going to go off. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, and I and I think that it, you know that it matters because she talked about how that character, the Bond girl, if you will, Sophie, she talks about how she thinks he's like the worst person in the world. Like yeah. he is literally that bad of a person, and it's tough because the first thing we see about him is him talking about his charitable foundation for refugees, and so he's representing himself to the public as one of the best people in the world. He's a really really rich person who's seemingly doing all this good work, but it all it almost seems like he's he's using that foundation to really kind of move money around uh, take advantage of people probably take advantage of laws uh, and probably sell weapons and so that's a little crazy uh, but yeah there's there's definitely a lot coming
coming. We we hear we see and hear a lot of buildup about this guy before we ever really interact with him. And the interactions that we have with them are really taut and kind of fraught with like they're on the edge of something bad happening, even in the moment. So I thought they did a really good job of setting him up. The Mr. Night manager, uh, not, not Mr. Night manager, uh, noted film critic, Richard Roper. Uh, <laughs> I thought they did a really good job of setting his character up before he ever showed up. And once he showed up, I thought everything was very shady and sketchy and on edge. And so for me, the hook was the suspense, not necessarily an inciting incident, even though there is a really horrible uh, something that happens in this first episode. Right. There is a very, very bad something that happens. No spoilers. Again, no spoilers. Uh, some bad stuff happens about three quarters of the way through. And then, you know, the rest of the episode is really setting up, I think, where we're going to go for the rest of the series. I think it's interesting that you say that a uh, noted film critic Richard Roper has some menace to him in these scenes. Cause I, I don't know if I really got it. I thought that the Dickie Roper that we are seeing on Mr. Night Manager to me felt about as menacing as I would imagine film critic Richard Roper is in real life I, just didn't, I didn't i didn't get a I didn't get a ton of menace from him i think that most of the menace comes from sort of the henchman that he brings to the table like this guy who's played by tom hollander who's uh you know been in a lot of stuff my wife was watching with me she's like i recognize him from somewhere we decided it was pirates of the caribbean this guy <laughs> uh so you know you always you always remember those pirates uh i felt like the people that he brings to the table are a little bit more scary and i'm not totally getting that from roper himself yet rob what's your take on this guy in terms of being sort of the bond villain of the piece yeah i think that hugh laurie certainly does have that to him i feel like even like house where he sort of is uh jovial that there's also a dark side to him so i feel like you definitely can see it and i think that it's kind of clear that based on what you hear about his backstory that he has this very friendly like richard branson like exterior but apparently that there's a dark side to him so I buy that it's there, but he does seem like a pretty happy guy. Do you? Were you a house guy? Were you a big house man? No, I wasn't a big house guy. I'm a big uh, stay in my house guy, but I was not. A, <laughs> I'm a big mama's house guy. Right, big mama's house certainly. Yes, uh, the trilogy. Uh, yeah, that goes without saying. But in terms of a uh, no, house that you know, I sort of uh, you know was aware of it through pop culture, but I wasn't a regular uh, weekly viewer of it. Antonio, were you a house man? I was a little bit of a house man, but Rob, did you just refer to Big Mama's house as capital T, capital T, the trilogy? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> okay, just checking. I just want to make sure. Were there the trilogy? Is. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like you know a lot more than I do. I know uh, that there were at least two, and I'm pretty sure there was a third. Was I think it, it might have been a fourth. Was yeah. it Bigger Mama's House? Was that what the second one was called? Big Mama's, yeah, like no, father, it was, like it was trilogy. That's right, the first time. Uh, Big Mama's yeah. House, uh, Big Mama's like House like Two, and then finally Big Mama's Like Father, Like Son. That's yeah. like the the look who's talking now of the trilogy. Like that's yeah. uh, when like you get to the point where you have to bring in Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton to talk as dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Very endearing how you guys are pretending that you don't know about the Big Mama's House trilogy, even though one of you said the trilogy right away. Yeah, uh, as though it was something you referred to in your secret online groups. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'll say about House is that. I did like House. I didn't watch all the episodes of House. Uh, I probably jumped out uh, maybe two seasons before it ended. But I'd say I watched every episode before that. And 
I, I liked that. I like Hugh Laurie. I liked his performance, his house. I like him in this role. I, I thought it was surprising that he was balding. I didn't expect that. I expected the very suave, debonair, Bond-type villain, uh, not this guy who looked kind of aging. And he, he, he very clearly is, has got a huge entourage of people around. What I was finding menacing were things like just casually swapping out SIM cards and being very anxious about a package that arrived. And you get the feeling that if he knew that somebody had been into a package, that, that bad things would happen. Uh, making jokes about helping people out in a bathroom and then being kind of negative about it. There was just an edge to what he was doing. And I do think that's the Hugh Laurie edge. I think, Rob, you're right, that as House, he had this sort of darkness about him. I think he's bringing that same thing to this role, jovial but with an edge. And in this case, when somebody has said that this person is the most dangerous person in the world, the worst man in the world, uh, when he has a little bit of an edge, when you see him, then you wonder, how's that going to manifest? What's that actually going to look like? We saw other characters responding to him uh, on one side of a phone call where they were terrified, it seemed like, to even talk to him before he ever showed up on screen. So I think Hugh Laurie's the right casting for this role because he does have that darkness that you're talking about, Rob. Yeah, I think that uh, when you say that somebody is the worst person on the planet, I don't know that Hugh Laurie or Dr. Gregory House is the person that comes to mind. I know that House is crotchety, uh, but I don't think that that qualifies him as right. the worst person on the planet. Right. So There's I think still Ollie really... on Game of Thrones. Right. He's still there. <laughs> <laughs> he's still out there. Negan is out there on Walking Dead. Segan might be out there on Fear of the Walking Dead. So there are some bad people out Segan. there. Oh yeah. But, uh, but I, I don't First really know who, who, would, who would come to mind for me as like the worst person on the planet. But I don't think it's this guy. So I think they set your expectations up in an interesting way. And then they're, you know, they're showing you a guy who at least at first seems like you could at least have a chat with him. You could probably hang outside and have a drink with him and not get your face blown off in the first five minutes. Yeah. On the other hand, when, when you're smoking a cigarette uh, on a on top of a building or looking at a vista and he walks out behind you, are you going to be worried that he's going to shove you? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing with this with this Hugh Laurie performance. But I think I would just be not, worried about that with anyone. Well, maybe. But I mean, I, there, there are other people that would announce their presence a little differently. He's not a Kim Jong-un. He's not coming out and cutting off heads the minute he walks into the frame. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the scary part about him to me is that he has this reputation – but he, you know, he's he's more Tony Stark than he is uh, kind of a, a dark weapons dealer who is bringing about death and destruction. He's much more comical, a kind of jovial, uh, the kind of guy that you can have a drink with. And I think that calling Tony Stark from Iron Man the worst person in the world because he sells destruction and pain and death uh, and laughs about it is is you could do that. But I don't think that's Mickey Rourke would with agree with you. Yeah, he would. And then a shitty movie would happen because they didn't follow through on that premise. But that's another matter altogether. That's another matter. So what I would say ultimately is that I think that I think that it works for me. I think that the Hugh Laurie casting works. And I did feel like part of the dangerous thing about this guy is that you could let your guard down around him uh, and really that there was a monster somewhere under the surface that we just weren't seeing. How is Tom Hiddleston working out for you? Uh, just in terms of his performance here, we've already talked about the star quality that he brings to it, and it's a little surprising oh. to see him on TV. Rob, 
I think you bring up a good point of it's not a huge commitment. It's six episodes. Also, the material is, you know, from a very reputable person in Jonathan Lucari. Uh, what do you what do you think, Antonio, in terms of Tom Hiddleston in this role? Is this believable for you? I feel like Hiddleston is usually or at least most commonly right now a guy that we think of sort of on a nefarious level. I don't know if that's the Loki effect. There's also Crimson Peak where he's playing a guy who's not exactly on the level. It's kind of weird for me, at least, to see him playing a guy who is super on the level. Like, he is kind of, uh, you know, he's, I, I think a lot of the comparisons we're getting right now is like James Bond, Jack Bauer a little bit. You know, he is that sort of spy who you know his moral compass is the one that you want to be following. Yeah, it's fantastic because there, there are even characters that make reference. I mean, it's his sort of questionable kind of standards or the fact that he is that he wears a lot of different kinds of skin ultimately not literally of course no that's the the dog when the dog grows up to be dexter (laughs) yes but figuratively he plays a lot of different roles and i think maybe you have to do that as the night manager of a hotel uh is that you you know you're kind of trying to blend with and talk to a bunch of different people you have to maybe be a little uh, odd to stay up all night and live that life um he has a very spartan existence when you see the places where he lives he doesn't seem to have a lot going on there I think that's fascinating. I do think it's fascinating as well. Like I said, when characters make references about how he's got so many selves that he presents many different things to the world. I think that shiftiness, that sort of ability to wear different skin uh, that Tom Hiddleston occupies, the fact that we think of him as not necessarily the best guy, that maybe he's a little nefarious – I think that adds to the role because I don't think that this role is one dimensional. I like the idea that this is a guy who was in combat, uh, but maybe has the ability to play off shiftiness a little better, uh, has the ability to kind of be underhanded. I, I like that idea that he's got some darkness in him and that he's not just a one dimensional good guy who has to do the right thing all the time. I think Tom Hiddleston is great in this and I think he's perfect casting. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very thumbs up for sure. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I mean, he's really good. I think that he really does carry the show. And even though that I, I do think that the plot, I think, has been uh, kind of slow to move. I do think that he holds your attention uh, throughout this. And uh, he does a really good job of uh, going through wearing those multiple hats of actually doing his job. And then also getting involved with this investigation of the noted film critic Dickie Roper. i think what's interesting to me about um sort of the buzz around this is you know it's not just that it's sort of it has this james bond vibe to the actual show itself and to the story and there's this guy who's going to be super well dressed and he is you know obviously a very attractive man and he is going to be sleeping with the lady folks and he's going to be globe trotting a little bit and all of this stuff is going to be happening and he's a suave british dude and so there's this james bond type of vibe that's going but a lot of people that i I've seen a lot of the reviews that I've seen, just a lot of the chatter that's surrounding Mr. Night Manager is that this is sort of kind of a quote unquote Bond audition for Tom Hiddleston. Do you guys see that at all? Do you see this at all as Tom Hiddleston, whether it's on his, you know, of his own volition or if this is just something that's entering the culture now? But do you see Tom Hiddleston not just as a James Bond type here as Jonathan Pine, but do you see him as a candidate for a potential Bond successor if Daniel Craig, who is notoriously <laughs> sour on James Bond these days, yes. uh, if, if he were to slip away into the night, if, if Spectre into were to the be night his, manager. Yeah, to the night manager. If they were to trade jobs, if Daniel Craig became a hotelier and Tom Hiddleston decided to say hotelier to James Bond, what are you saying to that? Do you think that Hiddleston would be a good Bond? 
Well, I think so. I mean, I, I think that it's, I think it's very telling that the first scene of this show, and this is not, I mean, this is the first scene, so it's not really a spoiler. There's this crazy kind of uprising going on, going in and going on in Cairo and Tahrir and all the things that we associate with the Arab Spring. And he's dressed nicely, just kind of saunters right through it, goes up to a police barricade, shows his passport, keeps walking through. And this is just so he can go to his job at a hotel early. Uh, I wouldn't even go to my job at a hotel at all if that (laughs) was going on. He's angling for the day manager job. I don't know if he's the night man fighting the day man or if he's the master of the sun. I really don't know. He's what got to he's put his cat eyes table. in first to beat. The yes, night he's manager. going for gasps, Josh. Yeah. But yeah, gasps I think is that where it's at. He's so suave when he pulls that off, and he really it. He stands out in a crowd for various reasons, but the biggest one is that he's so suave in that moment. Uh, I just that's James Bond right away, and I think you just take it from there. So I'm definitely thumbs up for sure. What about you, Rob? I feel like that it's just a bit tired of the James Bond. Certainly, he could walk right in and be just another Daniel Craig James Bond. I'm much more in the camp of the Idris Elba or like come just going back to the drawing board on the James Bond character. I feel like how many times could you make the same exact movie? Idris Elba's out. He does not want All to be right, James well, Bond. Well, if not Idris Elba, then I like the sort of uh, coming up with something different for James Bond rather than just another sort of brooding British white guy as James Bond. Right. Yeah. Um, I, feel, I, I feel similarly. I really like Tom Hiddleston. I don't know if he's... Uh, you know, I don't. I think that one of the things about James Bond that I want to see is like very sincere, tough guy personality. And I think one of the things that I really like about Tom Hiddleston as a performer and as this character, Jonathan Pine, is that he's not super tough guy to me. He seems like a solid guy. Seems like a guy who knows what is right and what is wrong and which way he wants to go in that equation. But he's also somebody who seems very sentimental and soulful and has a lot of that behind his actions. I think you see that in just about every role that Hiddleston plays and I feel like that's there's just this sort of sensitivity that he brings to the table that I don't typically I don't know if I want to see it in Bond or if I just don't associate it with that character I feel like there's just a little bit of a toughness a little bit of an edge that I'm not seeing here that would translate to Bond but I know a lot of people are saying that this show sort of feels like his Bond audition and that being said we also only have one episode to go on and all of the action stuff seems to be coming later yeah, I think that's right. And I think, Rob, you're right. I think what I'm seeing is the fact that he could probably step right in and it just feels like the rest of what they're doing. I would much prefer to see them do something different with Bond as well. But I think he could step right into that role and occupy it uh, much the same way that Daniel Craig, Pierce Brosnan and others have done. I think he he fits in that realm, even though you're right, Josh, he doesn't seem like the tough guy like Daniel Craig. Some part of that is appealing to me uh, as, as a person who's seen a lot of the James Bond movies. I think you want somebody who maybe occupies a little bit different kind of aspects of that role. And it doesn't, I, I think it's, it's great that you've got somebody who doesn't look like the guy when you walk into the room, who's going to kill you. Uh, that's good. I want that. I don't, I don't want to be able to pick out the guy uh, as James Bond, who is the biggest threat in the room. I'd rather it look like a guy who doesn't seem to be the biggest threat in the room and then ends up being. So I think there's some advantage to that for sure. If you're a spy, you want to be able to blend. And I think that talking about wearing various kinds of skin is one thing, but I think Tom Hiddleston can blend. And I think that that works. 
Yeah, I think that he's, you know, he's really, really a strong actor. I like him in this role a lot. I think that this guy, Jonathan Pine, is interesting. I'm curious about how one, I mean, we've already talked about this a little bit, but just like, how does, how do you go from being, you know, this very intense soldier type, this brooding soldier guy to being a hotelier? How does that happen? What is the journey from that to there? You know, how do you get there? And how do you get from Cairo to Switzerland? So there's a lot in terms of his past that I really, really want to know. So I think there's some intriguing stuff there. he said he didn't choose that job the job chose him the job chose him yeah we didn't land on plymouth rock <laughs> the night manager landed on me yes yes rob are you quoting robin hood men in tights <laughs> yes Okay, just checking. Always. Uh, we didn't land on Sherwood Forest, I think, would have been that. That would have been better. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. He, 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 the job chose him. That's interesting because for a series that's willing to do a four-year time shift right away in the first episode, I do wonder, are we going to get any kind of flashbacks? Are we going to see kind of before all this happened? Because as I said, the biggest question I have going into kind of the end game of this first episode was – why? Why are you involving yourself in this? The people that I know, and I've worked with people that work at hotels and various different jobs that I've had, the people that are in that industry are not people like this. You don't typically see two tours, Iraq, saw a lot of horrible things, decided to go into hospitality management. <laughs> That's the next step. <laughs> it usually doesn't work out that way. Uh, so you're right. Why did it work out that way for this guy? Why was he in Cairo at that time? Why does he have all these seemingly well-connected friends uh, who are in all these things? And is that something that plays in a role? I, I mean, I don't know. Was he Is he already kind of involved in something that we as the audience are in the dark on that we're only going to find out later? Uh, there, Those answers to those questions may well come. They may not. This may be a mystery. Why was he involved in this job? But I think you're right, Josh. I think there's something very interesting there. Let's uh, let's get into spoiler territory a little bit. So if you're intrigued enough to check out Night Manager and you haven't done it yet, go off and do that. Watch the episode, then come back to this part. We're going to get into spoiler stuff for the first episode a little bit. Having said all that, in terms of looking down the line, um, you know, at the end of this episode, Pine is approached by Angela Burr, the character played by Olivia Coleman, and is basically being recruited into this initiative to come after Dickie Roper and bust up his, you know, big, uh, his big film criticism weaponized compound that he's got going on. Uh, she's gonna, she's gonna recruit him to that cause. We don't know exactly how that's going to work. Don't you feel like that window has kind of closed? Like Dickie Roper was at the Switzerland hotel already he is gone now isn't it going to be really fishy if jonathan pine just like shows up at the next place that house is going to be at and he's like oh hey fancy meeting you here how do you get that guy to infiltrate richard roper's gang well i feel like that he's gonna have to wear another one of those skins that he's uh has so many different personalities now he's going to have to go undercover and he can't just be another night manager now he has to uh start to infiltrate the operation in other ways. Maybe he needs to pretend that he's buying the arms to go undercover that way. So oh why gosh. would a night manager buy these weapons? How do you sell that? It makes no sense. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how it all it all kind of comes together here because he made I think he made an impression on the noted film critic Dickie Roper. I think that there was an impression that was made for sure. Uh, he remembered that he wasn't there the last time. He asked him some questions about who he was. Uh, there was a connection that was made for sure. Uh, and there was that scene that you know where he's looking at the stars and 
there's that happening. So I don't know how they can connect, you know, beyond that. I don't know where we go from there, but I'm sure that if I did know, I could write John Lecar's novels for him. Like the plotting will be intriguing. We can question whether it plays out really well on the show or not. But I think that there's, there's just a, I think this lady probably knows pretty well. The well, one thing I really liked about her, about Angela, about Olivia Coleman's role, which I really like her from Broadchurch, by the way, it's really nice to see her in this role. And I think, she plays this sort of dogged, really wants to get the job done, kind of uh, lower level, but maybe with a lot of influence or has the ability to pull something off, kind of administrator, bureaucrat, police officer, call what you want. I think she's great in that role. She did, she did that really well in the first season of Broadchurch. I think she, I, I really liked her scenes on this show because of her. I think she pulled a lot off. She seems to be carrying a torch for Roper in a way that other people are not acknowledging, like or, or acknowledging is not healthy. Uh, she's been doing this for years, and so when he calls, hey, I, I want to talk about Roper, she's there. She travels to Switzerland and she's ready to go all in right away. And so she probably knows a lot about Roper, maybe knows a lot about how to infiltrate his organization, uh, and has been waiting for the right person to bring in uh, and can find a way to do that. So I have confidence in her. I like that character a lot. Apparently, according, again, to the wiki that you should not check out, uh, the Angela Burr character's name was Leonard in the book. So we, we went from Leonard to Angela for the show, and I'm really liking the choice. I feel like this is a great character. This is my wife's favorite character while we were watching it. She was my favorite character as well. Big Angela Burr guy. Yeah. What happened to Hap? What happened to Hap? <laughs> well, we got Leonard. I just, um, poor Hap. This is bad. They need to be together. Yeah. He might be showing up in uh, episode four. Or maybe the other guy in her office who was kicking the heater in anger, he was originally named Hap. That was Hap? Yeah, well, not his name's not Hap anymore, but it was, you know, while in the book that was Hap. Yeah, Hap yeah. they changed it for the show. They couldn't, because <laughs> they knew that Hap and Leonard was so successful on television that they had to change it up. Yeah. Right. Then, yep, that's it. I haven't finished that, by the way. Either of you guys go back and finish it? <laughs> Come on. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Rob, really? I know you were ready to do that. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't gone videos. back, Antonio, what, what chance know, do the rest of us have? Hey, Limited you, put, you put the man in the high castle to bed, Robin. I've not done that. That's so true. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, what else about this show do you want to talk about as we start closing the book here? Uh, Antonio, starting with you, you were a big fan of this. You like this a lot. You, you've referenced uh, Hitchcock, which is a big deal for you. I know. What are some of the other things about the show that you want to say before we put it to bed? Well, I'm not sure I could I could handle the slow, slow, slow pacing throughout all six episodes. I do want to see some some bigger kind of things happen. I do expect that we're going to get to a lot of exotic locales. If he does get embedded with Roper, it sounds like Roper goes all over the world doing crazy things. So I would anticipate a lot of that happening, a lot of SIM card changes, if you will. Uh, and I'm I'm excited for that. I actually thought there was some decent nuance to the show. I... I thought, for example, there, it was only a stray line, but there was a, there was a discussion between Tom Hiddleston, between John Pine and his embassy friend about whether they needed to intervene right away with what was going on with Roper and the Hamid family. And the guy from the embassy said, like, you know, there's a lot going on here. Maybe this is a little more complicated than you think. Maybe it's right for certain people to have weapons rather than other people getting them. And I got to tell you, as a person who's kind of followed foreign policy and regime change and the things that have happened in the world in the last few years, that's a very difficult quandary uh, 
that very intelligent, well-meaning people have struggled with and gotten wrong a lot of the time. So I think it's fascinating that the show did put kind of a little bit in there to make it seem like maybe Roper isn't that bad of a guy after all. Maybe he's doing what we need him to do, we being the well-meaning people who don't want the world to fall apart. I think that that's, that's fascinating that the show was willing wow. to get get into that. He so, truly is I don't the know. Dark Knight manager. <laughs> he really is the Dark Knight manager. He's the, the hero King we deserve. Manager. Yes, he's not the hero we need. I just I do wonder at the end of the day whether this is going to be a cut and dried kind of very simple story about how he's been wrong all along and and everybody that wants to be against him is right and or whether or not it's going to get into different territory. Uh, and I know that some of that has to do with kind of when it was written. I believe Night Manager was written in like 1993 or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think in a post 9/11 world, I do think we have a different view. I mean, a lot of the times when you change a regi- regime in the Middle East. The only organized group that can come into power are the religious extremists. And then you come to regret the fact that you took the person down who was a horrible person but wasn't a religious extremist. So these are the debates that people have behind closed doors or in public. And I think it's very fascinating that the show was willing to kind of introduce that into the equation and make it so that it wasn't just a very clear cut bad person. Uh, and I think that I think that I, I'll be fascinated to see where the show goes from here uh, with that, uh, whether we're going to see any more nuance at all or whether it's going to be cut and dried. Night manager is good and Hugh Laurie is bad. And that's all right. we have. Well, I think it's interesting, too, because you do get, you know, you do get that line from Sophie who is describing Richard Roper as the worst person on the planet. I believe somebody at one point says that Jonathan Pinewood's like, oh, you're perfect. You're too perfect. And it's like you it's one thing to hear that from the characters. But is the show going to tell us something different? You know, is the show going to show us that these are, you know, imperfect, flawed people? But even, you know, the worst of the bunch, does he have some merit to bring to the table as well? I think that'll be fun to see how that plays out in the next episodes. Yeah, the reason I bring it up is only because some of the best Bond villains are the ones that have a little bit of a point that aren't so megalomaniac, kind of want to take over the whole world, that maybe make very good points about bad things that governments do uh, or the things that people get into. And they're just like, well, they shine a light on it. I just want to you know, shine this. Those are some of the most intriguing Bond villains, the one that maybe have a scintilla of a point or they're onto something, but they just took it too far, uh, rather than the ones that are just cartoonish and car- caricatures of evil. Evil people. And so I don't know if in six episodes they have a little more time to develop Hugh Laurie. So I don't know if they're going to do that or not. But I would be, I'm definitely very interested to see how that progresses. For sure. That being said, it would be nice to have like an odd job here or a Jaws <laughs> or, even a ran- or even a random task. Yeah. <laughs> Who throws a SIM card at someone? Really? <laughs> honestly. Honestly. <laughs> or some fembots in here, you know, just something to really up the ante. Oh, maybe that's why the girl was in the bathtub within like two minutes of showing up on screen. So we knew she wasn't a robot. Yeah. These boots were made for walking. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Rob, any final thoughts on Mr. Night Manager? Uh, No, I mean, I think it's going to be a interesting series to go through and uh, watch once it's all. I mean, if you have access to the six BBC episodes, I think that that's probably a more enjoyable way to watch than sort of getting through the, the weekly grind. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so we will see. We will see how things go on Mr. Night Manager. I'm thumbs up on that first episode. A little bit slow, but I'm good with it as long as it's setting up some interesting action moving forward. Definitely seems to be the case. So let's put Mr. Night Manager to bed. I feel like wrapping up this podcast, hashtag Mr. Night Manager. That works for me, you guys. 
Okay. Yep, sure does for me too. Uh, as we are putting Mr. Night Manager to bed, we are waking up another Mr. Uh, Antonio, would you like to set up what new Mr. is joining the post show recaps family next week? <laughs> oh, man, there are so many things I could say, but I'll say the actual <laughs> thing. Um, Mr. Robot, Josh, Mr. Robot uh, yes. is uh, one of the best shows of 2015. Widely acclaimed. People love it. If you haven't seen it yet, there's a great opportunity for you to catch up. We've got the premiere date for season two in late July this summer uh, in in terms of Mr. Robot season two. What that means, Josh, is I think we should talk about Mr. Robot season one. What do you think? I think that that sounds like a great plan. Well, I was going to say, what's the best way to do it? Well, Antonio and I have been teasing this for a while. If you've listened to Antonio and I talk about The Leftovers, we said it back then. We said it on the most recent edition of The Wiggle Room on RHAP last week. We talked about some Mr. Robot. We've been wanting to do a Mr. Robot podcast for a little while. I believe we even mentioned Mr. Robot on the very first episode of Mo Show's Recap way yeah. back in August or September. Yep. I can't even think back that far, barely. Uh, but, but we've been wanting to talk about that show for a long time. I love that show. I binged it after that podcast back in the beginning of Mosho's recapped in basically a weekend and it was I felt so stupid for having missed it I am officially on the train we want well, to make sure yourself that you, up Josh I'm not going to beat myself now I've, uh, now we are now we are getting into it now we've got some Mr. Robot opportunities coming up so Antonio and I we are going to be re-watching Mr. Robot in the lead up to Mr. Robot returning on July 13 we are going to have a new podcast every single week for a Mr. Robot rewatch as we are working our way toward new episodes of Mr. Robot format a little bit TBD I think that we will try and have those conversations be fairly spoiler free for at least a lot of the podcast so you guys can feel comfortable hopping in on that and getting in on Mr. Robot and we will all be on the same page when the new episodes start in July in order to concentrate on doing that we are going to put most shows recapped on a little bit of a hiatus so this is the last one that you're going to hear for a little while but the mr robot conversations i am very very excited to start up next week and we can always yeah, do more say- most shows recapped whenever we have something that's uh hot and uh you know that we need to hot talk takes. about yeah yeah when yeah we're not, we're, comes we're, back yeah we're not if something comes up we're not totally putting it to bed but josh and i are going to do one mr robot episode a week right josh in the lead up the, what are we calling it the road to western robots <laughs> 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 <Mr>. robots <laughs> Yeah. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna go down the robot hole, which also yes. sounds bad, as I say. <laughs> yeah. No, I I don't think that I've not seen Ex Machina. I have no idea what that's about. But yeah. um, what I would say ultimately is, when you say spoiler free, we're going to talk about each episode as though we were watching it for the first time, uh, kind of playing off like we would do an episode by episode recap here week to week, uh, so that if you haven't seen the show, you can jump in and, and join in on those podcasts. And if you have, hopefully, uh, we're gonna point out some things that are prescient uh, as they go along. We'll do a good so, job of that, I hope. So yep. look out for that stuff. Mr. Robot starting next week. I'm excited because I could use the refresher. I watched a lot of it right after uh, my son Anthony was born, and I watched it a lot at like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. So I definitely While could. you were night managing Anthony's life. Right. I could use it. Yeah. Uh, that's a great show to be watching at 3 in the morning, by the way. Yeah, not bad. Mr. Robot, very trippy show. One uh, of the better ones. Late night viewing. Yeah, very good for late night viewing. So look out for that next week. Tons of other stuff happening on post-show recaps. Game of Thrones, Rob, it's happening. It's happening Sunday night. We will be live after the premiere to talk about everything that happens. Very pumped up about that. Very pumped up about that. Fear of the Walking Dead is happening as well. So lots and lots of shows here on Post Show Recaps. Follow all these guys. Rob is at Rob Sesternino. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. Two Z's, one R. I'm at Round Howard. Good stuff coming ahead. 
good times talking about Mr. Night Manager. We will talk to you all again soon. Goodbye. Bye.